It's time now for Super Psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. Good evening and welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. This evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaricarpell.com. And today is Sunday, January 29th, 2023, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell, and we are here in beautiful Austin, Texas, ready for another great program for you today. And Art Mendoza, the Complex Entertainment producer of this program, is here with us to make the show run smoothly as usual. And in a little while after the break, we'll be joined once again by CEO of Acceleration Partners, Wall Street Journal and USA Today international best-selling author, writer of the weekly column Friday Forward, and the host of the Elevate podcast, Robert Glazer. And this time, Robert joins us to discuss his latest book, which is about to launch any day now, Elevate Your Team, Empower Your Team to Reach Their Full Potential and Build a Business that Builds Leaders. Then later in the program, our friend, a regular to the show, the very talented jazz saxophonist Paula Atherton will be back to discuss what's new with her music and will be playing some of her original music. And along the way, I'll continue with more caregiver tips for the new normal. After the show, you can hear this evening's program again by going to my website, and the link to the podcast will be posted later tonight along with any website links that we discuss on the programs. And you can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to blog talk radio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com slash your golden years. And you'll also be able to hear it in five minutes after the show on Apple Podcasts. For information from previous programs, to listen to all of the previous programs going all the way back since we started on Blog Talk Radio nine years ago, um, go to my website, drmaricartel.com, or go directly to blogtalkradio.com slash yourgoldenyears, and all of those shows are also on Apple Podcasts. For information about upcoming programs and events, be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This evening's show is produced by Accomplice Entertainment and Psyched Up Productions and sponsored by A Mighty Good Time. Wondering what to do after you're 50? How about having a mighty good time? It's free to search, free to post, and much more. Whether it's in person or virtual, anything can be found to fill your day connecting with other people. So be more active and start connecting with like-minded people. Go to amightygoodtime.com. That's amightygoodtime.com. All right, we're going to take a brief break, but don't go anywhere. It'll be very brief. We'll be playing our other sponsors' commercials, and we'll be back soon with author Robert Glazer about his latest book, Elevate Your Team. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. 
Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed services or supplies you never received. There are three easy things you can do to prevent fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and look for any suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or call your local Medicare SHIP program at 1-800-252-9240. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. And we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And now we are joined once again by CEO of Acceleration Partners, Wall Street Journal and USA Today, international best-selling author, writer of the weekly column Friday Forward, and the host of Elevate Podcast, Robert Glazer, to talk about his latest book. Welcome, Robert. Thanks for having me back. Thank you for for coming back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Although it's hard, <laughs> it's hard to believe January, we're almost through January at this point. I know. The time goes fast. And, you know, this is the third time you've been on the program. And I looked back and I saw that the first time was like uh, just in August 2020. So it was quite a while ago. So, so, um, so right. it's been a it's been a pandemic, yeah. Um, still there? Ooh, I'm still here. Got muted for a second. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What I what I said was that the when you first came on the program, it we were in the worst part of the pandemic. Um, yeah. And, now, and then, we're, now we're dealing to move on to to to, to manage and and deal with what comes next. Right, exactly. The new normal. So, exactly. So you know the first the 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 first time that you were on the program, you talked about your first two books, Elevate and Friday Forward, and then the last time, uh, speaking of the pandemic, you spoke about thriving in the virtual workplace, which many of us are still doing. Um, so what brought you to this latest book, Elevate Your Team? Yeah, so so Elevate and Friday Forward kind of go hand in hand. And Elevate, I talked about this this framework of, of capacity building um, and really applied to sort of individual leaders and their team uh, across this, this framework of spiritual, intellectual, physical, and emotional capacity. Uh, and Friday Ford had a lot of stories that were aligned across those spectrums. Um, I, I, I had already, you know, for a while in our organization, we had been on this journey of how, how do we grow the company by growing the team? And so what I started to, to, to realize was, you know, I'd focus on the individual leadership element, but Elevate Your Team takes the same capacity building kind of structure and says, how do you, how do, you do this within in an organization as a whole, and 
I, I think the timing is, 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 look, it's better to have be lucky sometimes than smart, but the, the timing is really relevant on this because after a pandemic, the pandemic and sort of the, I think we're reaching an end of a decade of this sort of churn and burn venture back company. I, I think I think a lot of leaders are looking for a new playbook because I just don't think the playbook of the last 10 or 20 years is going to work in the next decade. And I think a lot of what I talk about in that book is how to build sort of a more sustainable business by by actually growing the people within the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you know that actually makes me think about how things were already changing before the pandemic because the the new the younger employees were more I guess more aware <laughs> and looking for yeah, we, work that something different that, yeah yeah they were looking for work that that they felt passionate about yeah I, look the the command and control playbook has not even been used by the military for years so i think we were moving away from that um, mm-hmm. But even the sort of Silicon Valley, New Age, whatever, there was this sort of just work people, just work, 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 work them to death, and then get new people. I, everyone is so burned out right now after mm-hmm. a couple of years of the pandemic that I just don't think that's gonna, that's not gonna work. No, 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 no pun intended. Right, right, yeah, I think. And I mean, you could see that with people looking for new jobs and um, leave, even the, you know, leaving lower paying jobs to go to higher paying jobs or discovering that they want to go to work that, that feeds their soul rather than just a paycheck. And, yeah, and I think, look, peep, peep, and look at what the gig um, economy has has turned into right. You can, you don't you don't need to get you know a job. Uh, you can you can go you know work whenever you want to. So uh, if organizations mm-hmm. are going to uh, recruit and keep people, they need to make a compelling reason why they should stay with that organization. Um, I think the organization has a really great win win opportunity to help those people to become better holistically. And, and and to be the beneficiary of that in the workplace, but also see that these are people who are learning and growing. Um, and, and eventually we'll be ready for the next thing, either at that organization or, or elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so what are some of the, the recommendations you make to build, you know, stronger working or stronger working team and to, to provide that atmosphere of passion for the employees so that they want to stay with that organization. Yeah, so it really goes across the, the spectrum. So if we talk about that notion of spiritual capacity, I think it's helping people figure out what they're good at, their core values. I think people really lead authentically from from their values and understanding that. Like we don't have a single type of 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 leadership at our organization. Um, I mean, we have best practices, but we want people to really figure out who they are, what are they good at, how they want to lead. So it's really helping employees with that self-discovery. On the intellectual side, I think there's a couple of things like, um, you know, teaching, you know, working on feedback, a culture that sort of values feedback, a culture that teaches um, like discipline (laughs) in all aspects of the job and routine and like, you know, what, what does a productive workday look like? And what should you, I know this sounds crazy, but like 
you know, what should you do when you get up and particularly when you're working from home in the morning and like actually working with people on, hey, it, you really shouldn't roll out of bed and jump on your phone. That's not a great way to um, start your day. So, so the intellectual capacity really is about kind of, uh, I, I think as an organization, you, you really kind of, again, work holistically on helping people um, develop better habits, better skills, uh, a, a culture about learning and growing, um, you know, whether that's book clubs or podcast clubs. Um, and then feedback is a really big part of that, both learning how to, how to get it and to receive it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I know that you make a big point in the book about how the, how your outer life affects your, you know, your personal life affects your work life as well. So how can the organization support people, employees in having a more vital personal life? We usually don't, when I was, you know, first started working, that was certainly not part of the picture. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this this falls under the realm of physical capacity, so I'm glad you asked that. I mean, in the book, I talk about the story of Marissa Meyer. Uh, she took over at Yahoo in, in, in 2012, you know, came from uh, this meteoric rise at, at Google, and, and she came in um, kind of in articles, bragging about her 100-hour work week, talking about as she did 130-hour work week. Uh, if you've done the math on this, it's not even across seven uh-huh. days. There's barely any time to to be awake or eat or sleep um, outside of work. And, and and then she returned to work after she she I think was was pregnant when she started. You know, returned to work two weeks later. And so there's just this culture at Yahoo of just do, like work. And, and they did 52 acquisitions in 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 her five years, and they were all worthless. Um, and, and, and really, the company, like, lost value and destroyed value over those five years. So, to me, that's a great example of clearly, like, people doing a lot of stuff all the time wasn't doing that. So, I, I think, look, one of the things today, particularly with so many people working from home, like, leaders need to create some buffers through work. They need to let people have a life outside of work, like, relax, recharge, instead of calling them on vacation, maybe pay them, like, not to check in on vacation, thinking that, wow, if this person can really, like, actually get a break, they might come back, uh, you know, better refreshed. And and there's also, particularly with the work from home, shifting to leaders managing outcomes, not looking at time or sort of butt in seat as a metric, but we understand this with sales. Like we understand that the salesperson who sells more is more valuable than the salesperson who works uh, tons of hours. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I think that a, a lot of these things are, are, are just figuring out what needs to be done. The 80-20 rule stops focusing so much on the time that people put in versus the quality of the work and the outcomes that they're getting. Mm-hmm. Mhm. Okay. Now, it kind of reminds me. <laughs> I it just I I don't know. Um, when you were talking, it reminded me of when I went on my internship, pre-doctoral internship for my degree in psychology. Um, yeah. That was in like 1990, and at that time, and I don't know if it still works that way. Um, the internship was an opportunity for hospitals or, you know, whatever setting um, you were hired in to you to have basically uh, unpaid labor. And they yeah. would say, oh, it's a teaching opportunity. And they would work students 
like 70 hours a week um, in a hospital setting or ER or, you know, psychiatric facility. And I was lucky enough to actually work in a facility where the the head of the program said that we were not allowed to work more than 40 hours a week. And if anybody yeah, we, we, we asked to make to... fun of our we yeah we used to make fun of our European colleagues right where all the holidays and stuff like that but I, I think as the data comes out um, you know there's there, there there may be something to that you know one of the mm-hmm. ways you have a lot of you have a lot of companies now um, trying this four day work week thing which I think is can be tricky because it's hard to go back but one of the ways they're doing it is they're just eliminating unnecessary meetings. <laughs> They're eliminating all the stuff that the companies should have eliminated anyway and didn't didn't need to do. Right, right. And and they're probably getting more higher quality um, work from their employees. Yeah, I mean, no one no one no one reports in their hours as 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 success. So I think we've again, I think we've completed busyness with, with productivity. And if you, you know, I go into this deeper in the book, but if you figure out the right outcomes, if you figure out the right metrics and what you're managing, you can give people more flexibility and freedom and say, look, I don't, you know, here's what we need to do. You know, you don't need to, you don't, it shouldn't take 16 hours a day to do it. And if I want to kind of reward maybe the person who figures out how to do it in four hours a day rather than 12 hours a day. Like that person's actually a little more efficient. Right. So do you suggest actually having, like when somebody figures out how to do it faster, <laughs> suggest having like workshops on how to do it faster for those who are less efficient? Is that part of the, of elevating your team? Yeah. Look, I think that there was a guy years ago, I remember on Verizon, and they found that he had outsourced his job for like three years and they fired him, you know, right away. Not that I might not have fired him and there's, reason about that but I, I actually might have sat down with a guy and said well how did you do this like <laughs> how could we clearly if you didn't need to do the work that we're assigning and someone else could did it maybe, maybe there's you know maybe there's something we can we can learn from that so I, I again I, I think there's so much for when you think about half of what organizations do is they they kind of meet every day there's unnecessarily amount of people in them there's just there, there's so much stuff going on where I think we're we're mistaking busyness for, for productivity. Right. What about, you know, you hear a lot about top, you know, I haven't worked in a corporate setting since, you know, I took temp jobs to get me through college. Um, yes. So, but I hear about a lot of toxic um, atmospheres. Um, what are some, what are some ways that, that you can make environments less toxic aside from obviously, you know, working people till they burn out. Um, are there yeah, other I mean, things? A lot of toxicity comes from, from, from bad managers uh, and leaders. Um, I think it, this gets into a little bit of the final realm of emotional capacity, um, which is a lot of emotional capacity is, is sort of developing uh, uh, you know, a, a workplace that has a lot of psychological safety, which I think is just trust at scale, where people are willing to share things and, and talk about things. You actually care about people, which doesn't mean that you also don't hold them accountable to what it is that they need to do, but you understand that, you know, these are, these are human beings and people, and um, 
I think a lot of times, again, that lack of any real understanding of what's going on with people at any time and, and, and you know, not getting to know each other or, or sort of, you know, sharing. There's a concept called the, the, the Johari window, which is um, by two psychologists, uh, I think the name Joe and Harry, but, but it's sort of a two-by-two two matrix. And, and on one side, there's what you know about yourself and what people know about you. And, um, you know, the goal is to, to, through feedback, you know, you're able to push the window more open about, you know, what, what you know about yourself. And then, you, you know, through vulnerability, you can push down to other people know about you. And then everyone's kind of operating more in a known realm. You know, a lot of times in the organization, you have that toxic leader and everyone knows they're a toxic, terrible leader, but, but they have never been told that. <laughs> they don't know that no one likes them. They're not... They're not getting that feedback or no one feels safe to go up and say, look, no one on your team likes working for you, right? That, that's a great culture where someone can say that or whether that gets out in the open and they get dealt with. And maybe the discussion is, you know what, Mara, like maybe you're not meant to be a leader. Maybe you're better as an individual contributor. Like, you, you know, you moved, you moved from the sales role into managing a sales team and it doesn't actually seem like you like managing people. Mm-hmm. Right. So I guess that gets to another point that you brought up in the book, which is communication. That I found interesting as a psychologist because I think that is something that we really need better communication in all aspects of our life. Um, can you yeah, talk about and, and, how to improve communication? Yeah, so a lot of communication, I think, that you know, part of the first part is is we talked about in spiritual capacity is kind of understanding yourself, helping leaders. There are all kinds of different assessments that you can understand, traits and things. I, I think as you move from understanding yourself to doing that as an organization, like one of the things that I know is like a lot of people on my team, I know a lot about them. I know what their disc profile is. I know what their core values are. I know what their kind of dominant why is because we've done this stuff. And it's very easy to understand where communication problems happen. They come from different styles. They come from different orientations. I, I had someone on my team who just started and was really struggling on the leadership team to get someone else on board with something. And I said, well, you know, this person is a, is a make sense person. That's their why. And they really need to understand what they're asking. So this person ha has a why, and we talk about the whys in the book, a sort of better way, orientation wants to do better. And so they wanted the other person to just commit that they were on board and, and, and to support this initiative because it would make things better. And, and they were like, I don't understand what you want me to do specifically, so I can't. And they were like going back and forth. And, and, and after I, I shared this with the person and then I went through – sort of their orientation, they were like, oh, I totally get, like, I was like, this, you have to approach this person in this way. Give them very specific things to do that they can understand and they will tell you that they understand them. Um, and, and it really totally changed their relationship. So mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of these things come down to core differences in, in, in orientation and in communication style and the way that we look at things. And when you start to know all these things about people on your team and you know that, like, oh, I'm a, I'm a quick start person and they're a slow thinker and need to be reflective. You understand why you're going to be in this argument where you just want to move forward and they want to slow down. And you know what? One out of 10 times, like it might be frustrating eight out of 10 times, but one or two out of 10 times that slow down person is going to save you from making a, a, a big mistake. Okay. Okay. 
Um, I just received a question from a listener who wanted me to ask sure. you about um, the how about incentivization. Yeah, and how so that, that it's a big part of this. So there's 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 explicit and implicit uh, incentivization. So back to the physical capacity. If you as a leader say to everyone, take your vacation, but then you go on vacation and you're emailing the whole time. Um, you know, that's not really a great way to, to model that. So versus putting an out of office saying, I'm on vacation and you won't be able to reach me and I'll be back next week. I think that creates incentives, right? And then there's also specific incentives. So as I mentioned this before, we actually give people a reimbursement if they go on vacation and they don't check their email and they don't communicate because we actually want them to have that vacation. And we think it also makes them design things, not have to go through them and not be all, all, all sort of uh, the fail-safe on one person. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think mm-hmm. whatever you reward explicitly or implicitly is how people behave, which is why, you know, when Marissa Meyer at Google said to all the moms, well, you know, I don't want you to do what I'm doing. I don't expect that of you. I'm not sure anyone believes that, right? <laughs> they, I, I think when, you, when the leader says, oh, well, you know, don't do what I'm doing, that, that doesn't work in parenting or otherwise. Like, you, you need to model that or show the incentive or show that you're willing to do it or the organization values it because cause people will follow those explicit or implicit incentives or right. disincentives. Right. Right. Well, also, if the if the leader is checking their emails while they're on vacation, then then employees right. are going to be fearful. But they're telling other fearful. people not to. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like well, if I, I was an employee, yeah. I would feel like, oh, I'm going to be punished for not checking my email. Right. I I should do the same. Um, so one of the things that I have done for for years, and I learned years ago, like I used to. When my kids were younger, I'd get up on a quiet Saturday morning. I have all these emails I had gotten to because I was in a lot of meetings, and I would respond to them. And then people would respond back to me over the weekend. And then I, I, I heard a trick, and, and ever since then, I so anything that I send outside of normal sort of business hours, I delay delivery until 8 a.m. the next work day. So I might have been mm-hmm. sending emails all weekend as I had time to go through things, but I didn't want people to feel like they had to respond. So all those emails go out at at 8 a.m. on Monday morning. Yeah, I remember you said that in the last the last time we spoke, and that is such a great that is such a great tip. Yeah, and that mat, you know that mat, that matters to people. So uh, again, I think if I had to summarize what what you are as a leader, people, and, and this is true of parent too, but they just they respond to what you're doing, not what you're saying. <laughs> right. So do do all of these does, does all of this work when people are working remotely? I think it's more important when you're working remotely. So I, a lot of companies had an easy transition to remote work, and some some did not. Uh, imagine a company where there's low trust, where uh, people are valued sort of by you know butts and seats, uh, where there's poor communication, where there's poor leadership, and then send everyone home and not have them in the same place. Well, and there's no clear values in culture. Well, you can imagine how that might go. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, and now imagine a company where there's great communication, strong leaders, a lot of trust, clear core values, clear, clear culture, then, then remote work, I think, is a lot easier to do. So I think some of these are, are foundational. Um, some of these are foundational 
things that that strengthen any culture and I, and i and i just think like there's more stress on the system when people are working remotely right it, it mm-hmm. if you can establish psychological safety and trust and teamwork and invest in people while they're not all in your office every day, I think you have a better chance of keeping them and a better chance of, of getting them engaged. Right. Right. So you're saying that it's even more important. All of these, all of these issues are even more important when people are working from home. Yeah. That makes sense. You, yeah. <laughs> it's, I just think the degree of difficulty is higher. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, we might have a culture that look, we, we trust, we, we trust you, we empower you, whatever, but at the same time, like, that trust is easily lost. So we, I think I talked in the book, it's, I believe you should trust first. People use the excuse of the one person that did something wrong to not trust the other 99 first. Again, better to give that trust and say to people, and we'll, we say this at our organization, like, look, you're expected to be available during normal work hours. If you need to do something else, that's fine. But tell your leader, tell your boss, like, there's no way to sort of become uh, like lose trust faster in an organization that someone that can't be found regularly during the work day when they're expected to be found. Mm-hmm. Right. So you kind of have to, you know, even though you work and come home, you're setting, you're setting your hours. You're, you're not just doing work here and there. That's right. You, you what can you have a range. You can have an, <laughs> you can have an exception. Right. So perfect example. Let's say your kid is in the state soccer championship from three to five. You know, and you reach out to your boss and you say, "My kid's in the state soccer championship. I want to. I'm going to be out from three to five today. I just want to let someone know Michelle's got it covered." Like that's totally fine. What's not fine is to go to that and not tell anyone when they were expecting you to be around during that. Again, it feels like you were trying to get away with something. Um, so. Again, you establish that culture of trust, you do that up front, and then you establish, you know, behavior that is a deviation of that. That's very different than starting out acting like you don't trust people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So when is this book um, launching? It looks like cause when you go to Amazon, it says pre-order. So this is brand new. Yeah, it's not uh, even out yet. March 7th. So we're about we're about five weeks away, uh, and uh, get, it's getting fast and furious. But yeah, it launches March seventh across <laughs> Kindle, hardcover, and 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 audiobook. Great. Good luck with that. Good luck with the launch. Thank you very much. So, if people are in, if listeners are interested in in learning more about you and all of your books and your podcasts and your training programs and your Friday Forward column, um, what's the best yeah. way for them to do that? Yeah, they can go to uh, Robert Glazer, that's R-O-B-E-R-T-G-L-A-Z-E-R.com, and that's all the books, the podcast, everything there. If they're interested in learning more just about the book, you can go to E-Y-T, Elevate Your Team, book.com, so E-Y-T, book.com. And okay. you can pre-order it, and uh, Amazon will, I think they actually do it so that you get it right on, on launch day. Great. Great. Well, thank you so much for for coming on to the program again and, you know, best of luck with this launch. I know those are those are, are kind of crazy. Um Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and have a great have a great 2023. Thank you very much. All right. You have a good okay. evening. 
All right. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take a break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas. Every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. And we are back. If you're just, just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaricarpell.com. And um, in a little while, we're going to be joined by the great jazz saxophonist, Paula Atherton. But before she joins us, I'm going to talk a bit about caregiver issues. And I'm kind of thinking about some of the things that Robert was just talking about in terms of a team. And I tend to think of like a corporate setting, but I think that it really fits um, in in all work settings, um, this this type of, um, the, the at least the communication and the trust and the those concepts that he talks about, spiritual, intellectual, physical, and emotional capacities and, and understanding each other on those levels. And it also makes me think about how to apply this to dealing with some of these caregiver issues that I'm going to discuss. And I brought it up a few weeks ago um, when your loved one is living in a long-term care facility, especially now with um, COVID still hanging around and causing um, causing quarantines and all kinds of issues. But I think this is really an you know an issue in general that um, a nursing home is is an organization and the residents and the family members are not employees of that organization but we we have to interact regularly with the whole functioning of the organization so in a long-term care facility it's it's not just the administration and the you know and the leader the leaders the employees but also the residents and their families. So I'm just kind of putting it together now after having this discussion. And um, because one of the issues that I was going to bring up is how to approach the administrators, how to approach the, the employees, the staff, when there are issues with your family member who is a resident of the nursing home, how as a family member do you do that? And I think that the communication, the trust, all all of that is really an important part of it. Um, so one of the the issues that I've mentioned previously um, is that it's really important to speak up. So this is a communication issue. Um, when there's something going on that we, as a family member, um, think is not good for our loved one who is a resident in the facility, 
um, specifically, or even if it's something that's affecting many residents, um, we need to not be afraid to speak up. Now, there is a trust issue there because um, very often people are afraid to speak up because they're afraid of retribution. So, and I have spoken to uh, people in the nursing homes. I've worked in nursing homes for many years. I've more recently spoken with psychologists in nursing homes and even the long-term care ombudsman um, who is the liaison between the, the family members and residents and the nursing home, and they actually work for the state, whatever state you're in. Um, and they they agree that sometimes there is retribution. So if you're making a complaint about a specific caregiver in the facility, um, that is an issue. Um, so how you do it is really important. How you make that complaint is really important. Um, and when it's a complaint about an administrative issue, there's very little retribution that can happen from an administrator to a resident. Um, they don't have that same hands-on level of care, but it is important that when you do speak up that you do it politely. So the old adage, you can catch more bees with honey than vinegar, really applies, that people are not going to listen to you if you yell at them. Um, it really needs to be done in a calm, rational way. And um, sometimes having the, um, the power of many voices, many family members, of different residents all together can be the most powerful way. So family councils have many benefits in that way, that if you can put together a family council, then you actually have more power to speak to the administrator and bring up issues. What I've learned about starting a family council and speaking with the ombudsman is that the best way and the and I guess this goes towards that trust issue um, that we were just discussing um, is your intention when you start a family council is the intention um, to be angry all the time and to always challenge the administration and the staff members of the facility or is your intention to provide a, a better, higher quality of life for your loved one in the nursing home and for all the residents in the nursing home. If it's the latter, you're more likely to have success. And if that is the approach that you take when approaching, whether with a family council or individually, when you approach about an issue to the facility, if you have that intention in mind and you, you communicate that intention, then you're more likely to have success. Um, 
So for example, um, in a per in my own personal case, and I brought this up a couple of weeks ago, my mom is in her nursing home and her facility is in the state of Connecticut and they have very strict rules from their health department about when to quarantine um, if a resident on a unit ha is testing positive with COVID because in that particular state, they've had very high levels recently of COVID and people getting sick, even, uh, you know, even if, you know, they were vaccinated because it's a, it's a very vulnerable population. So my concern was about what are you doing for the residents who are in quarantine who are not sick so that they don't um, develop other issues from isolation? Um, you know, just sitting in their room and having no contact with other people and, and no activities. It took a little while, but I was able to find the right person to speak to who heard my concern and she shared my concern and um, also got back to me and, and told me that she met with a state health department representative who had told them that they could now decide quarantines on a case-by-case -case basis. So that actually is great news, that it isn't always that the, the whole unit is isolated if one person tests positive, but it's a, it depends on the risk on that particular unit. And But they had no creative ideas about how to um, keep residents interested and engaged when they're isolated. So I came up with the idea of using an in the in-house channel that they broadcast movies on once a week to use that to broadcast interesting videos throughout the day for people who are stuck in their rooms. And they appreciated that recommendation and said they were bringing it to the recreation uh, department to discuss that. So now it's a collaborative effort between a family member and the staff coming up with ideas. And when we can work together, then we can have more success. It's not, we're not against each other. We're working for the same outcome, for the quality of life for the resident. So I just wanted to bring up those tips that are really, I think, really important. And the final reminder is as a caregiver, whether you're physically, geographically close to your loved one or you're far away, it can be very stressful. So remember to spend time taking care of yourself. Spend time doing things that you love. Follow your passion and remember to spend time in relaxation and breathe. And I started a series about getting back to basics. Um, the last blog that I wrote, a blog series, the last blog was about nutrition and there are more to come very soon. So follow me on Facebook and that's when you'll know when I've posted a blog.
So, Dr. Mara Carpell, your golden years. All right. So now on to some passionate music and music of Paula Atherton. And we're listening to the great music of jazz saxophonist Paula Atherton. And Paula is joining us right now on the phone. Welcome back, Paula. Hi, Dr. Mara. So nice to talk to you again. So so nice to talk to you again. Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year. It's been a while since uh, we've spoken. I know. So how are things going? What's new? Well, let's see. Um, the song you just played, Keep It Coming, uh, wound up being the number three song on Billboard of 2022. Wow, congratulations. You keep, yeah, you keep pretty... getting these top Billboard songs. Every time I talk to you, you have another one of your <laughs> songs on Billboard. Well, I I keep trying, you know, I keep trying. Uh, you do your best work and put it out there, and then you say your prayers and uh, hope for the best, you know. That's great. 
Congratulations. Yeah, I also so, found out at the same time that uh, I wound up being the number three Billboard Artist of the Year for 2022. So, wow. two uh, really exciting things that I did not expect either of. That's really exciting. That is, that's great. Congratulations on that, too. Thank you. <laughs> um, can you tell us about that song? About the song? Yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh, it was produced by Jacob Webb, um, who's a bassist producer out of New Jersey. Um, he produced the song. It was my, I think, first single. Yeah, first single off my seventh album, which isn't finished yet. <laughs> going to try to get it. It's going to get out this year. It'll be done this year. Um, so that was actually released. January uh, 2022, um, and then I had a second single, Ready or Not, following that up, and then I think my, I'm releasing the third single from that album, uh, actually I just released it this month, and I think you have that up next, um, and that's called Open Road. You have that one also? Mm-hmm. Yes, we do. Yeah. I'm going to play that next. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah, that was produced by uh, Greg Manning, uh, who produced my first number one on Billboard, Can You Feel It? So, mm-hmm. um, pretty exciting song uh, coming out. Um, so I think I might be uh, by you. Uh, what what city are you in? We're in Austin. Yeah, I was in Austin twice last year. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, I'm going to be in uh, Dallas and Houston and Phoenix. Uh, I don't have anything in Austin yet, but how far is um, Austin to either Dallas or Houston? Is it, are they both far? Mm, well, two and a half to three hours to each of them. Oh. Yeah, yeah, not that close. Yeah, well, in Texas, to Austin, that's considered close. <laughs> Yeah. Well, in Texas, you know. two and a half, three hours is close. <laughs> really, people just drive yeah. everywhere all the time. Yeah, it's such a big state. Everything, everything is miles and miles away. <laughs> yeah, it's spread out, right? Yeah, yeah. So, what does your calendar look like? It sounds like you're back on the road. Yeah, I'm home uh, for February. And then March, I start to go out. And March, I'll be uh, actually. I'm playing um, with Jazz and Pink, which is uh, an all-female group of jazz artists. Um, and uh, I'm playing with them on March 11th in Dallas, and then I think they'll be in Houston on the 12th. Um, April, I know offhand, I'll be in Atlanta, um, Phoenix. Charlotte, North Carolina, and then mm. in May I go to Portugal. I'm playing in in the Algarve in uh, Portugal. Wow, very nice. Of May. <clears throat> yeah, I I played one time in Portugal. I played the Estoril Jazz Festival years ago with a big band. Um, and in 2019 I got to play in Madrid, but I I haven't really played in Portugal. In recent history, and uh, certainly never in um, the city that I'm going to be in, which is called Faro. Mm-hmm. It's at a beautiful resort. Um, 
and I think it's called Pine Cliffs in the Algarve there. And they it's a boutique uh, jazz festival. They only sell like 300 tickets. And um, wow. it's supposed to be really beautiful there. I'm looking forward to it. Nice. Yeah, that sounds like it'll be beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you could. <laughs> oh, I would love to go. <laughs> There's going to be a I lot of acts could... on the bill. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to go, but I don't think I could do it this this soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, maybe another time. But it's yeah. funny because there are a lot of acts on there, like oh, Jeff Lorber's on there, Greg Manning, uh, Paul Jackson Jr. It's a lot of great artists on there, and I'm the only female on there. Do you do you find that a lot in jazz that you're the only female? A little too often. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, people still don't, you know, they'll think that I sing, which I do, and that's, you know, that's normal for people. Right. Uh, but I played in Florida last week, and the sound guy uh, comes up to me and he goes, okay, so uh, uh, when do you think your sax player will get here? Oh, I my said, goodness. oh, I think they're here already. He said, really? Where are they? He said, you're looking at her. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> ah, that's so crazy. <laughs> I'm not gonna yeah, say it's funny because it's, it's like sad. That. Yeah, it really is. It really is. But you know, yeah, I, I thank you for breaking through those feelings. You know, I, I'm trying. I'm trying, you know, the re-education thing for, for people. Like, they, I mean, musicians think that way, you know, because they're used to, like, all kinds of people doing things in music. But um, mm-hmm. just, like, the general public is used to female, women. Like, if you sing and play piano, that's normal, I think, for them. But I guess still playing saxophone for women is just something that's uh, somewhat of a novelty, and it really shouldn't be. Right, right. But you know how it is. No matter what people think or say, you just do what you You do. You just do it, right? That's right. There you go. Yeah. Well, Paula, we're going to play your next song. All right. So don't go anywhere because we'll come back and talk for a little while after. Okay. Okay, I'll be right here. All right, Paula Abbott, Open Road.
All right. As usual, Paula, <laughs> that's another song that gets you dancing in your seat. Or or not, not in your seat. <laughs> well, I hope so. I hope right. so. Very nice. Great. I love it. I love it. Thank you. I mean, it gives me the, the greatest joy to make people happy with my music, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and your music is so joyful, so and we need more of that in this world. We need more joy, so <laughs> Oh, I think I think so. More joy, more love, you know. Can't have enough of mm-hmm. that. That's right. So so Paula, if people are interested in finding out where you're playing, um and also listening to your music, downloading your Downloading your music, watching your videos, all of that. What are the best ways that they can do that? Well, um, I have my calendar on my website, which is PaulaAnderson.com. I try to keep it updated also on Bands in Town. Uh, People could sign up for Bands in Town, and then they get alerts when I'm near them. Mm -hmm. So that's that's a pretty uh, tool to use. Um, You can get my music on Amazon or Apple Music or anywhere you download music. It's it's available. Um, and I'm also on Twitter, Patterson1. I have two Facebook pages, Instagram at Paula Atherton Music, and uh, LinkedIn. And that's, uh, okay. that's about it, I think. Yeah. All right. Okay. So I'll, I'll post some of that on my on my website post about this show later tonight so people can can get all that information if they didn't get to write it down. Um, Thank you so much for coming back on the program and and congratulations again. That's just wonderful that you, you know, that you made it. And again, your song made it, you made it. It's a top billboard. That's wonderful. And, um, you know, you never know. Maybe we'll get to see you here in Texas. Yeah, I'm going to be in Texas a lot, just not Austin yet. Uh, a few times in Dallas and uh, Houston coming up. But, uh, you know, hopefully I'll get to see you sometime in uh, 23. Yeah, I hope so. Well, I hope so too. you take care. Have, have safe travels and have a wonderful, um, have a wonderful new year. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Mayer. All the best to you, and I hope to see you again soon. Yes. Have a good night. You too now. Bye-bye. All right. And we've come to the end of another program. Before I go, before we go, let me let you know what's coming up um, in the next couple of weeks. Um, We'll be taking the next three Sundays off from live broadcasts. And... um, During that time, we'll be playing some of our recent favorites as encores. And then on Sunday, February 26th, relationship coach Roy Biancalana will be back with more on how to attract the relationship you want. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information from the show, get the website links that we talked about on the program listen to previous programs, etc. go to my website, drmaricarpel.com, and you can also hear this evening's program in as soon as five minutes from now by going directly 
to Blog Talk Radio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com slash your golden years, or you can listen on Apple Podcasts in five minutes. Be sure to follow me on Facebook for upcoming events and shows, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This evening's program was produced by Accomplice Entertainment and Psyched Up Productions and sponsored by AMightyGoodTime.com. Thank you to my guests, Robert Glazer, Paula Atherton, and thank you, Art, and thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring few weeks. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. Stay safe. Any guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any information on this program.